Welcome back to Beer and Football. We are back after a, a week of fixtures from the Bundesliga. Uh, a couple days late, but we are, are here anyway. We are, um, I'm Mike, and I am joined with the thruple of Jeff and Joe. Joe, how are we doing this week? Everything's good. You know, same old, same old. Weather hasn't been great, but, you know, keep doing what we're doing. And uh, it was nice to finally be able to watch some football on TV, which was good. I, uh, I echo those sentiments. I don't, uh, I can't. Yeah, the, the return to the Bundesliga is definitely something to be excited about, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, Mike, I heard you had a little, a little, little water in your house. Yeah, Joe mentioned that the weather wasn't great, and it was definitely not great on my end. My, um, I got home from work on Friday, and my sump pump stopped working, so we took on some water in our basement. Uh, which led to a fairly big issue over the weekend. I uh, had to end up having the sump pump replaced, carpet pulled up. It's this big ordeal. Um, we weren't planning on redoing our basement, but now we are in the process of redoing our basement. So from the kitchen to the basement, we're just going to keep rolling one room at a time through the new house and you know see how things go from there. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been an exciting and adventurous uh, weekend, but but the good thing is is football is back. We had the Bundesliga return, and um, they they joined the likes of Taiwan and Belarus to get football back on TV and back in the in the viewers of uh, in the hands of the viewers across the world. So it, it was it was a good weekend in that front. Um, and speaking of which, we'll do a quick update on the Taiwanese league and the Belarus league. Let's see how our red lines are doing. They are still without a win. They are 0-6. And they have given up a shocking 27 goals in six games. And they've only scored three. They are doing so bad. It is, it's not looking good for them. They are still and will probably remain in the only relegation spot in the Taiwanese league. Um, Hang Yoon and Tai Power are running the table here with uh, 14 and 13 points respectively. So that's uh, that's where we're at with the Taiwanese league. Have you guys uh, been keeping up with the Taiwan league at all? Uh, I have not personally. Um, I just like I love our our updates to you know, see how they're doing at the bottom and see if they can turn things around. Hopefully, one of these days they you know, can get one of those those wins that they so desperately need. You know, it usually only takes one to, to spark the season, as Watford uh, showed <laughs> at some point. Um, the, the, you know, they would stay up if the season completes. Uh, guarantee it, they're going to be staying up. And, you know, uh, the Red Lions might do the same as well. So, You know, goal differential aside, <laughs> goal differential aside, they are still only four points out of, like, seventh place. So, you know, from eight teams, they... They get two wins. They are up to sixth in a shocking swing of events. So there's a lot of season left. They can they can pull it off. You know, Still who knows? Um, and then we'll swing from there over to the Belarusian league. Um, Bate Borisov um, has jumped from about fifth place to the top of the table with um, looks like 19 points, and um, they are leading the pack in Slutsk, Slutsk. Good old Slutsesque FC dropped down to uh, to fourth place. So they were once leading the league a few weeks ago, and now they're uh, 
dropped down to fourth. But that, I mean, they're only three points behind the leaders, Bate. So it's a, it's a pretty tight race from first to about seventh there. So that's a more competitive league than the uh, the Taiwanese league and the Premier League for for that matter. You know, so um, <clears throat> that's our update for the football outside of Germany and Europe uh, for this week and. Not only is the German football back with the Bundesliga, but guess who joined our listening group on the podcast, guys? Is it Taiwan? Ah, I wish it was Taiwan. I think the, I wish it was the Red Lions manager, but no. Germany, of all countries, on the week that the Bundesliga comes back, has joined our viewing audience. So, shout out to Germany. We, uh, we uh, thank you for joining in and listening to the podcast, keeping us going. Yeah, it's exciting. Mother country to the list is a good thing. The motherland. They uh they, they see the quality and they're representing. I love it. I love it. My brethren digging it. And uh with uh Germany listening to us, let's jump into the Bundesliga. We each uh we picked our teams for better or for worse. Uh yeah. my team did not do so hot as, as Jeff's team, but we had it was good to see football back on the TV. Uh Joe you followed uh, Cologne. We'll start with your team. Started out good and then kind of fell away in the second half. I mean, they, they actually looked really good. All the, the crap I gave them, kind of karma came back in, in my face with Schalke's result. But, you know, Cologne actually looked pretty good. I was very impressed with uh, Hector. He seemed to run the midfield for you guys. And yeah. uh, he did really well. I thought Cologne played really well. They just had a few moments of defensive lapses. But, you know, other than that, I thought they played pretty well first game back. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think they'll be fun to watch. I think they're. Um, it's, it was a very open game for them, and they were they were going back and forth. And I like that. Uh, I think his name is Oops. He was like a kind of a second forward playing behind his left-footed player. He was kind of dictating things up top, and he uh, was getting everyone involved and being creative. And I think I'm going to enjoy watching him play. Uh, you know, they just. I think they're they're a fun team that. And it was going back and forth, and I'm looking forward to next week's matchup. So, you know, this giving things up and, you know, wearing us out in the back. And so they had some great tackles that were, like, some uh, some interesting stops and all those things that, you know, made the game entertaining. And it was, you know, a fun game to see and watch. And hopefully they can, you know, put in the full, full 90 minutes and get a result next week. But, you know, it was a good, it was a good game, and... I'm glad I picked them. I'm stuck with them. Yeah, like I said, they started out pretty hot. They got a two-goal lead pretty early, and then uh, late in the second half, they just kind of lost steam a little bit. And the the two goals that um, I think was it Mainz they scored. I mean, it was they were pretty solid goals. The first one was a good through ball in, and then the second one was individually really well. And on their center back, who somehow just weaved his way through your whole back line, but it was it definitely seemed like one of those first game back after. a a pandemic kind of situations where everyone was like, I don't want to touch him. You touch him. I don't want to touch him and allowed him to just, you know, slalom through. So, um, do you think that had an impact on, on your game, uh, with mine show? And, uh, how do you think like the atmosphere environment was for that first game back? I think everyone's kind of, you know, I think overall for the whole weekend in general, everyone seemed to kind of play, like a preseason kind of match, getting their fitness back, which is, you know, you would expect it. Um, I don't think anyone sh- 
shied away from tackles and did anything like that, which was good to see. Um, but like you said, you know, they're coming back from like another preseason. They've had, they had their, their summer break then they had their winter break. They just got back into it. And now they had another break. And I think in a couple of weeks, if they can keep, keep going, I think it'll be, you know, business as usual with, in terms of tackles and plays and all that kind of stuff. But the atmosphere itself, it was weird watching the game with no crowd. I think it's a, it's just a, a weird viewing experience. I think it's hard to, you don't get as much of the passion and the intensity when the crowd's not in it. Um, but that being said, it's still, the players still played and, you know, it was fun to watch. It was just a different, a different experience that I, I guess we're going to have to get used to for a while, but it'll be nice when fans are back in the stands. Yeah, it was really interesting because you could hear just about everything that they were saying on the on the pitch, which was um, good and bad. It just it just seemed eerie almost at times. But um, but like ever, like you guys have been saying, it's just really good to to be able to get back and watch some uh, some professionals doing more professional things. And uh, Barouge definitely seemed to be. Uh, professional in their their attack they had a little bit of a, um you know light first half uh, as you said they were kind of going through the punches a little bit um you know pulling some punches going through the motions and then second half really turned it on um but I, I didn't get to watch the full game unfortunately uh my daughter didn't let me uh but uh, from what I did see, it was they, they were just attacking down the down the wings and just causing havoc for Schalke on the outside, um, you know, getting getting into the space behind in behind those backs on the outside and, and getting some good crosses in. But they also combined well, switched the field. But to be honest, Schalke didn't really provide much attack um, to worry about. So. McKinney uh, was fun to watch. He had a lot to do and didn't really get much support, but he put a shift in for sure. Uh, I didn't think he did anything flashy, but he did what was asked of him, so that was nice. Um, so I'm, I'm having my beer is uh, the Versh, the Vernesh Gruner. Uh, it is a German pills that I saw at the grocery store and just seemed right. You know, being able to pick up a German beer and and drink a nice Pilsner on uh, on a Tuesday night, um, saluting to the German return. So. I'll cheers to that. You know, yeah, like uh, it wasn't the best game from a Schalke point of view. Like I, I think I spent a lot of time watching Dortmund play during that game. Um, like I said, Weston McKinney played pretty well. Um, wasn't his best game, but I mean, like you say, he didn't have a ton of support in the midfield for Schalke. Um, they just looked sloppy all around. Um, it was pretty tough to watch at times. Uh, you could definitely tell it seemed like one of those two teams had trained and, and prepared for this the return for the Bundesliga, and one obviously was like self-isolating too long. Uh, Dorman came out of the blocks ready to go, and they, they took control of that whole game. 
uh, start to finish, and Schalke really couldn't even muster too much attack on their goal. And, and like you said, I mean, they were flying down the wings. They were really strong in their counterattacks, and, and Schalke just couldn't really string together too many passes uh, in, to connect anything going forward. And like I said, it was, it was a little rough to watch. Um, but uh, they're also, Schalke's goalie is one of the worst keeper performances I think I've seen in a long time. I mean, he pulled an Adrian. He pulled, like, I want to say, like, most Arsenal goalies pre, um, like, Czech and, and Bernd Leno. Like, it was it was bad. He just made so many mistakes. And he probably could have saved two, maybe three of those goals from Dortmund. Uh, it, it didn't seem like he should be a starter. you pulled a Karius? That that too, you know. Anyone who plays for Liverpool who is not Allison, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just a, a shocking performance, you know. Uh, from just a, a little side note: Carius is uh, a Liverpool player again. <laughs> I saw that he came from. So yeah, also Karius. side note: he came from Besiktas on loan, and I think what they had like eight people test positive in the last like couple days for their team. Did they? Yeah. Um, good thing he got out, and he uh, he canceled his contract because they weren't paying him. He says, "I'm out." <laughs> was it because um, he wasn't doing well? They weren't paying him, or oh, he was it... doing terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they chose not to fulfill their end of the bargain. Yeah, he had some howlers again. Not as high profile as Champions League, but <laughs> yeah, they're like, "We're paying you to be a keeper, and you're not even touching the ball." So <laughs> yeah, um... but I was. Uh... Watching that Dortmund game, there was that number six Delaney for Dortmund in the middle. He was kind of like their holding midfielder. He just, it felt like he didn't even break a sweat the whole match that he played. And he was just dictating the game, uh, had full control of the midfield. Anytime the ball came into him, it was clean and he got rid of it. He got everyone involved. He was someone that I that I really enjoyed watching. Um, you know, just those guys that make the game look really easy. Uh, Dortmund looked good they controlled the whole match um it was nice to see like they they kind of started off a little bit slower but then they were so clinical and they you know any mistake that Schalke made they were in and you know they were scoring or they were you know putting in good chances and you know if they can keep that up they're going to give Munich a run all the way up to the end which is you know, it's good for the league, um, but I really enjoyed watching that Delaney. I thought he was a fun. Yeah, I mean, you watch the, you see those two teams. It was drastically different the way that uh, they were set up together, and you know, Dortmund looked a really solid team. Like you said, they they're going to give uh, Bayern Munich a real push towards the end. And uh, Jeff, like you said, Schalke just doesn't seem to show up against the the, the top teams in that in that division, and they really showed that. I mean, especially coming out of that was a the probably their biggest game of the year. You know, the Revere Derby. That's that's like their biggest, toughest game of the year. And I know there wasn't any fans there, but it should have kind of played in their favor a little bit that there wasn't a yellow wall. They didn't have Dortmund's fans there cheering against them and, and making it harder for them. But I mean, they just looked dejected right from the get go after that first goal was scored. You could tell that they were going to score at least two or three more. So. Um, in honor of that game, or I guess not honor of that game, the beer I'm drinking yeah, tonight of is um, it's called Mount Massive. 
Um, well, play on words because what Schalke has to do for the rest of the season is a massive mountain climb. They have to really pull it together and, and, and kind of become more of a team. And I think they dropped out of the Europa League spot after this week. And, um, and I, I think, you know, what they, the work they need to do is, is a lot and uh, th- th- this beer is actually really good. It's um, it's a New England style double IPA, uh, very tasty. A lot of lot of good notes to it. A lot of a lot of good flavors coming out of it. Um, kind of the opposite of what Schalke had going on during their game. But you know they have a massive mountain to climb coming out of the, the into this uh, reboot of their season, and hopefully they can figure it out and get some get some good football getting together, and you know get some points on the board. But uh, that's uh, that's my beer pick for this week, and kind of represented what they what Schalke really has to do, which is a lot. But um, I don't know if Schalke's uh, aspirations are anything higher than staying up and just trying to finish as high as they can. They they seem like the, an Everton type of team that might have had prior success, but just really shouldn't expect top four at this point. Yeah, I was actually watching um, on Fox uh, Fox Sports after that. I think that those round of games they were playing. Um, I think it was a few years back when Schalke could have won their first league title in, in the Bundesliga. Um, the game that really decided it was the Revere Derby against Dortmund, and all if they had to win that game and they would have taken the league. But they ended up losing two zero, and then Stuttgart came up and, and and won the league that year, and that was their only chance to win. And it just seems like like since then they had a really star-studded team back then too. That was when Manuel Neuer was kind of like a young twenty-year-old, and they uh, they just they really need to to sort it out. And like you said, I think they are just kind of content at being right around the middle of the pack, staying in, the, in the, that division, staying in those Europa League spots, and every once in a while make a run and, and find Champions League and top four. But they got a long way to go to if they want to challenge for a league title, and it'll it'll be interesting to see what they do in the, in the coming weeks of the Bundesliga. Um, Joe, do you think Cole had any uh, negative impact with their, their mascot not being allowed at, at the game? I think he hasn't missed a game in like 30-some-odd years, uh, the Billy Goat of Cologne. So do you think that had an impact on them finishing out the game or no? I'm sure it did. <laughs> you know, that, he gives them that final push energy at the end and things dropped off. But, you know, sometimes you got to – they got to be able to play, so if you can't be in there, then uh, it's going to be tough. They just got to win it in the first half. Joe, I don't know if you looked at the table recently, but you're only four points behind Mike now. It's very close. It's well, yeah, very tight. I can't wait till Cologne is higher than Shaka. The way they played this weekend, it'll be very soon. <laughs> So what did you guys think about the um, the rule changes that, that Germany put in place? I saw the most notable one was the five subs. Um, celebrations were interesting as well. I think it's weird. Uh, the five subs, I think I'm, I'm fine with. The celebrations, you know, whatever. But, you know, if they're in a, if they're in a match and they're making tackles and everything, they're touching each other. So if they want to... You know, give a high five, give a hug, those kinds of things. I think they should be allowed to, um, but that's not a a big deal, I guess. I think the five subs is. I I think it's 
fine for now. I, I don't know necessarily the reasoning behind it. Um, Probably fitness, if you, if I had to guess. Yeah, I mean, they came out after the, the round of games with, like, nine players from that weekend with, like, muscle injuries. So I think, I mean, I think the five subs is, is kind of crucial for this point of coming back because they have had such a lack of fitness in the past three to six weeks. So I think that rule is interesting. But given the fact that so many players got injured, I mean, that, that'll, that rule will probably be here for a little while until everyone gets back into shape. But. It was interesting on the celebration side of things, like the Dortmund Schalke game. You could see their celebrations, like they weren't touching. They were doing these little dances, kind of near each other, but not close. And as the weekend went on, and like when Bayern Munich played, everyone was like hugging, high fiving, doing all these like contact celebrations. So it was interesting to see how they evolved throughout the weekend. As the more games went on, they were like, eh, whatever about the rules, whatever, just start touching each other, act normal as possible, and. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how that continues throughout the league and if there's like any kind of crackdown on the celebration uh, standpoint. But I think the five subs is good. I think. What do you guys think? Do you think that's going to stick around even after the like this scenario passes? Do you think that's going to be a thing? People, I've heard that people think it might, um, but I don't know. I think it's crucial at this point in time. But do you think it'll stick around after everything kind of gets back to normal? I think I think it's fine. I don't know. I think you get more people in, and I think it'll keep the game going. Because sometimes it'll, it'll allow you to do a lot more. I think three is, has always been the number, and that's just kind of what we've always accepted. It's I think four. I think something in the I think four in the middle allows players and managers to to do different things. You can you can really change up a formation. You can really do a lot. Of different things if you need to you can shore up the back or you can you know make that push with those those subs and i think it'll keep fresh legs more i just either way i think five is a lot i think that you know that's half the, the players on the field um you know the outfield players and you know but you know i guess what does it really matter um but I, I think four was a, is a better number. That extra sub, I think, um, you know, you still have to have most teams playing the full match, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, with five... I do like how they introduced the fourth sub uh, after extra time. Um, <clears throat> I can see them sticking around with four, you know, maybe after the 90th minute or after the 75th minute or... It would allow, you know, it, it would be interesting to see a way that they can introduce a sub, like a sub for an injured player. But, you know, with the way that some football players roll around, it's, you know, you, you might have them go down and say, oh, I'm injured. And then, you know, they're back up running down to the, down to the dugout later. You know, who knows, but five is too much to me, so I agree with you, Joe. Four is probably right around where it should be. I did try to take a look through the Bundesliga and their matches and to see who actually used all five subs, and there, there wasn't, a, most teams didn't. Um, obviously, some did, uh, but I think it was about 50-50-ish. Uh, a lot of them used three or four. 
So it's not like they were all taking advantage of it anyway. <clears throat> so I, like I said, like Joe said, I, I think that it'll stick around for the remainder of the season, but I don't think it's going to survive COVID. Yeah, I mean, with the five subs, they, they you still only have three opportunities to make those five subs. So, I mean, it's not like you get five different opportunities to make a sub. I mean, they still kind of kept that part of the rule where you only get three chances to make subs plus halftime. So, you know, it's it they're they're trying to keep it as, as close to normal as possible. However, you know, I think, like I said, it is, is an important rule. I think they need it at this point just to keep fresh legs on the field and, and players to not get injured. Um, so, like, what do you guys think overall? Do you think it was a success for that first week back um, for the Bundesliga? And I think we're still waiting to see if, like, test results after that week. But, um, Joe, what are your thoughts on how successful slash unsuccessful the first week back was? Uh, I think it was a successful weekend. I think, um, you know, I didn't see any new cases of the coronavirus and you know, everyone played their matches. I think, I think it has to be considered a success because everyone's, you know, has finally done that and been through it on the other side. They're doing the right things, and you know, hopefully, it can continue and people can slowly start to get back into the rest of the leagues, getting in their minutes and playing, and you know, getting their fitness back. And hopefully, we can try to finish off this season and you know, move on from it. Uh, but everyone seemed to play. No, the rules didn't change. I don't think players and teams, you know, did anything different than they would normally do on a regular match day, which was good. Um, like on the pitch, I think it was, it has to be considered a success in my eyes at least. I would agree. Uh, however, one of the first scenes that I did see on TV was Matt Hummels, Matt Hummels um, doing a snot rocket uh, during warmups. So I don't know if that was and he wasn't carded after, <laughs> but he definitely uh, did not follow protocol protocol there. I'm assuming they they did mention that, but you know who knows? Maybe they they didn't take snot rockets into consideration. So. Either way, I think uh, I think we all have to agree. Um, I don't think the corona, the the new cases will be uh, identified after the first couple of days. So it's hard to say whether or not increase of players with the coronavirus would show up until maybe week two. You know, the symptoms don't always show up right away. So um, I think we'd say it's a success for now. But if half the league comes back infected, then definitely we'd have to reevaluate. But uh, obviously that's a little extreme, but uh, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, they are on like a, a week-to-week basis with this, with the with their reboot. And, you know, week one, like I said, I, I agree. I think week one went well. And hopefully, you know, tests come back in like a positive manner the way they did beforehand. And um, I think it was a good first step. And I think it, it kind of gave a lot of the other European leagues a bit of a boost. You know, the Premier League leading into there, they, they're looking to come back early June. Um, today, they kind of released that out of 750-some-odd tests, they had six positive cases, which is less than 1%. It's not quite as at the rate that the Bundesliga had after their test, um, but it's it's a positive sign that, you know, it could 
be successful if they come back, if they do it properly, if they stick to the plan and they have a, a like a really good like medical um, conduct going in and procedures going into those games. They, uh, they did approve small group training sessions, so starting tomorrow, I believe, and I think it's a good sign. I think the way that the first week ran was a good sign. It's positive for the Premier League, and um, Joe, do you think uh, the the Premier League will kind of get started up again in early June, or do you think that's still going to a little bit away and they're going to push things back a little bit? I think if you know they can do all the right things like they're to do, I think they can get started. Um, you know, the the six positive results from you know the testing that was that happened. You know, it was not. You know, you say it's less than one percent, but that's still a, a number. It's going to be hard to to keep it at zero. I think is you know the goal. Um, but then these you know all these players they go to the store or something and they they get it. It's going to what happens. If the player is infected and and you know they're, they're a week out, does the team have to be quarantined? And then then what happens to that match? Does that match get postponed and everyone else goes on? Or you know, I think it's I hope that they can um, that these these six, which is you know that's a small number, you know, to the seven hundred something I I think I saw total test. I think that only six is is good, but it's still six, and that six could you know turn into twelve. Um, if it wasn't caught right away, you know. So I think that's the um, the thing. But you know, those they can keep these numbers down and get the training in, and you know, do the small groups, and then hopefully mid June when they're looking to come back, they you know by then they'll have the routine down, and you know everyone will be you know on the same page, and they can get these games going. So like the Bundesliga has got it going, and I think. I think that they will get the games in um, because I think the protocol is right and I think they're doing what they can and what's best and they're trying to to move on and I think they're I think they're all right. Yes, I mean I think UEFA set a deadline of the end of this month to make a decision if they're going to play the games or they're going to just kind of figure out a way to like like a points per game kind of thing to end the season. That way they can, you know, decide a winner, relegate teams and so on. And I think that's the biggest problem they're having in, in terms of finding a consolation way to finish the game or finish uh, the season for that matter um, in a fair-ish way. Um, but like I said, I mean, six is a fairly low number, but at the same time it's still six. And like you say, it could you know, double, triple in the next couple of days. And of the six people that did test positive, four were kind of identified, three coaches, one player. Um, the, the third team, Watford and Burnley, were were um, kind of announced that they were two of the three teams that were of the six players, people that were tested positive. So we don't know what that third um, club is or who those players, if they were staff or players. So um, in the Bundesliga, they had a 0.58% um, positive rate, but that was after testing 1,700 people. So like, they were way advanced in terms of their um, their handling of the situation as opposed to the Premier League. But, Jeff, what are your thoughts on all this? And do you think they'll get the games in? Do you think they'll make a decision by the end of the month in like a fair manner? Do you think the bottom tier table teams are going to sign on to something that potentially gets them relegated? 
I think they're going to go and play. Um, the way that <clears throat> I think the backlash that they're seeing from the French League and also the, um, the Dutch League, I think that they have to. That It's just the overall best scenario. If they can finish the season, it, it, we've talked about it before, it, it stops the scenario where you just stop the league and say the table is what it is, uh, you know, canceling the season, avoiding the season, you're going to pit someone off. However, if you could finish the season, then no one has an excuse. Say, well, one of my players had coronavirus. Well, they should have, you know, maybe quarantined better. You know, that I think it gives them overall a better way to finish the season if they can finish it. So, the, the, there's only positives if they can finish it, but that's if they can finish it. So they're probably going to all work towards that end. You know, the teams that are in the relegation zone, they get a chance to fight their way out. The teams that are fighting for the Champions League spots get to fight and, and earn their spot instead of, you know, just taking for what it is. So I think it's everyone everyone's best interest to finish this season if they can. In, in a safe way, and they, and they keep reiterating that you know they're they're trying to listen to to the right health officials and and all the recommendations. But money does talk too, so um, so they're they're going to get in. I I was saying at the beginning of all this that there's no way that they're not going to finish it, and there was a long stretch where I went, well, I'm not sure anymore. Um, but I think I'm back to the point where they 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 should finish this season. If they don't, then they then they're probably doing the right thing as well. You, you know, it's it's so gray area at this point; it's so hard to tell. But from a footballing standpoint, a table standpoint, they should finish the season. From a health standpoint, that's a little less clear. Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of like kind of torn in terms of what in general people want to happen. They like they want the league to come back. I think there's a lot of people who want to come back just from like a financial standpoint. But you know the players are voicing some of their opinions, and like they're hesitant on coming back. Um, and to their point, you know the like the the Premier League and, and football players in general are kind of being treated like guinea pigs. Like they want them to come back and see how it works, and like they're getting a lot of stick in terms of like, well, they make so much money, they should be doing this and that to like support their you know local governments or whatever. But like they're still people, like they are still vulnerable to catch this and to be impacted not just them but their families and, and people that they they know and love so it's it's kind of a weird scenario where the players are the ones at risk when everyone else is being like pushing to get this league back into play for whatever reason there might be and you know if people are fighting against it whether it's you know a health standpoint or a not getting relegated standpoint or a financial standpoint i think all are fairly valid and I think at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for for the the individual, the people that are stepping on the field. They're the ones taking that risk and taking that chance. And I'd say most players are looking to get back and want to play. But you know, you have those um, those individuals. You know, like for example, Troy Deeney, his his son has like a, a breathing issue. He doesn't want to rush back, so he's taking the opportunity to not go back to training, even though it's being approved, because he doesn't want to put his son in in any danger. So like, you have that kind of thing to look at and. It, it's a tough spot to be in, I think, for a lot of players and coaches alike, and I think they're kind of getting a lot of pressure to get back into it just so they can fulfill contracts and, and TV deals and, and whatnot. So um, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out in the next few weeks and, and if they decide to play, and if they don't, how they're going to settle 
league table, promotion, relegation, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens, guys. Uh, I, I'm one to I'm looking forward to it as for one, and I'm just glad there's some kind of football on TV that we can watch and, and talk about and have some content on this on this podcast. But uh, we will. Um, we're gonna take a slight break. We're gonna get our movie list together for you guys. It's gonna, honestly, it's gonna feel like we didn't even go anywhere. So once we stop talking, it's gonna feel like we just start talking again. So we're just gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with, uh, with our, our picks for our top movies around the world of football. And we're back, just like that. We, uh, we, we were the fastest movers, the fastest breakers, and uh, we are back coming at you with our, our top movie picks. So, uh, like I said in the last podcast, we are um, in the in the process of doing a crossover podcast with another with a movie podcast in the next couple of days. So in in preview of that, we are going to be talking about um, our top three football movies slash movies that revolve around the sport of football. So we are going to uh, kind of go through our, our list here, and we're going to start with Joe. He's going to give us our, our top picks and why. And take her off, Joe. Uh, so with number three, uh, my I'm gonna pick Shaolin Soccer. It's a fun movie, you know. Entertainment's high in that movie. You know they're flying around and you know entertaining is is good. And it involves soccer and you know it's just just one of those classic movies that you see as a soccer player. You just kind of Shaolin Soccer and you go watch it and you know you get some laughs and of how ridiculous it is and you know so that, that came in at my number three number two is one that we had talked about could it be could it not be i went with uh, green street hooligans doesn't have a lot of soccer in the actual movie but it's about the culture and you know the supporters groups and um you know the hooliganism and everything that they do kind of involves their club that they're associated with and you know it's just one of those classic movies that we've all seen and um you know that's that's my number two. Um, but then my number one movie is, is Mean Machine. It's such a good movie. Uh, a lot of soccer in it. Um, and, you know, the, I was, I watched it again this past week and you forget all the little things that you, you saw the first time, you know, how big of a sponsor Umbro was. That was surprising. You know, you don't see a lot of Umbro around anymore. And, you know, just how, underappreciated a good bumblebee sock is you know those things that you know we wore as kids thinking you know but now looking back and you don't see too many bumblebee socks the thick bumblebee too they were the worst you you put those socks on one time and they were perfect once you took them off and you washed them they're ruined and you can't ever get that feel back but you know it was such a good a good just overall movie that that there were some good moments of uh some good football moments, but then there was that entertainment value too, you know, that flying two foot tackle and, you know, them flying down <laughs> the wings and all that good stuff that, you know, you just, it's just a good movie. And, you know, that's so, that ties into my root beer that I picked. I went with IBC, you know, a classic root beer um, to go with like a classic movie in Dean Mich- Yeah, I think one of the, the best scenes in. And there's my top three. Yeah, best scenes in any movie out there is when that keeper runs out full speed, jumps, leaves the ground with two feet, and smokes that guy in the face. I mean, that 
Oh my God, I think I left for a good five minutes when I first saw that. That is such a solid pick, Joe. You had some good good choices there. I have a feeling that may pop up again in, in the in list to come. So, uh, well, good picks on, on that and good pick on the uh, IBC. That's a real, real solid, solid root beer. Uh, Jeff, what do you got for uh, for us for football movies? What's your top three? All right, I'm going to have to uh, piggyback on a couple of them because <clears throat> Shaolin Soccer is, is my number one, to be honest. Uh, it, it provides me some good laughs. It's just a good parody. You, you got the, the feel-good story of this guy who comes from the streets and tippers the golden boot or golden shoe golden boy whatever his name was and uh really just takes the you know the corporate money machine and, and it takes it to him it creates a band of uh misfits and, and puts them together as a team and and they pull it out in the end you weren't sure if they were going to but they do uh, a little good love story along with it you know some good um you know good feel good factor there so uh, I'm going to go number one is Shaolin Soccer. I'm going to take number two is Mean Machine for many of the same reasons. Uh, Vinny Jones is just a perfect man for that role since he played for Man United and is uh, kind of a hard-nosed guy in most of the movies he plays. And, uh, so I think that, that one went over well. Uh, and actually you did have some football in the, in, in the movie, which a lot of these other football movies – it's it's more about the the story than it is uh, about game, and um, and then thirdly, I'm gonna go with Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell. Uh, just a great great family movie. Uh, you got the Italians, you know, pass it to the Italians. You got the the conflict between the dad and, and Mike Dick. Uh, that's a classic. You, you just got the crazy parents. Um, so it, it engulfs a lot of what football is. Um, outside of the, the sport, you got the, these really good people that you want to get the ball to them and, and make magic happen. You got misfits on the team. You got crazy coaches, crazy parents, and, and that, that is a big part of soccer as well. So those, those are my top three, and um, I'd watch those on a, any rainy day, um, even if it's sunny, to be honest. So, Mike, what, uh, which top three did you go with here? Um, I had a hard, not a hard time, but like there's, there's not a ton of football movies out there. And if, uh, and like the, most of them are kind of just like kid movies. So they've got the classics of like the big green, um, that, that's a, a good, fun, entertaining movie for like younger kids. And then, um, Ladybugs is a, is a classic, but I don't think we touched on that because that's going to be something, one of the movies that we talk about in the crossover podcast coming up later this week. So we'll leave that one aside, although it is a classic. Um, so my top three are Mean Machine as well. I think that got a clean sweep from all of us. Um, such a fantastic movie. At the time I first saw it, I actually had no idea Vinnie Jones was a former professional footballer in real life. I had no clue that he just doesn't seem like you look at him, you're like, that guy never played football. Like he doesn't seem like he's got the, the skill set to, to play the game. But sure enough, he was a pro and played for a long time. And uh, that movie was just classic, top to bottom, you know, good cast, um, hilarious and just an all around fantastic movie. And um for those who don't know, it's a very similar and same storyline as um, The Longest Yard, 
and the remake. So you've got that, it's that whole prisoners versus guard situation. Um, it's a fantastic movie. I highly recommend. And again, it got a clean sweep from uh, the thruple on the podcast this week. Um, number two is, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to allow these kind of movies, but uh, Joe went ahead and, and picked Green Street Hooligans, so I'm going to go on the other side with uh, Football Factory. It's along the same lines of Green Street Hooligans. It's about the, uh, the hooliganism instead of um, West Ham with uh, Green Street Hooligans. Football Factory follows the, uh, the story of a guy who, uh, who's a Chelsea supporter, and he gets just a hardcore hooligan just young having fun living reckless and kind of gets himself into some trouble and it's uh it's it it's a little bit of a darker take on kind of the green street hooligan uh theme and it was it's a very good movie it's a little more serious and it's just like a lot of a lot of dark themes to it and but it's a very good watch highly recommend if you if you like green street hooligans i definitely think you would like football factory um and my last pick is I struggle with this one because I do enjoy the story of it all. Um, it's called The Game of Their Lives. It's about the uh, the U.S. national team beating the England national team in the World Cup in 1950. It is one of the best, biggest upsets in uh, football history. Um, the struggle I had with the movie is that I have a really hard time watching people play soccer who clearly are not soccer players. Um, as a soccer player, it's almost offensive to watch people who are not good at the sport to play the sport and pretend that they're professionals. And um, it kind of happens. I mean, you have like stars like Gerard Butler as the goalie. You've got just actors who are clearly not soccer players who are playing football players who are not, I guess, doing it justice. I mean, you've got um, Gavin Rossdale as the England captain and just a bunch of well-known actors that are, are playing these sports. And it's just, there's a hard for me to take it as a, a football player. so, um, But the story itself is what kind of made me pick this movie. And um, it's just that, that, that tale of they, they defied the odds. They went up against the best team in the world in Brazil, in the World Cup, and they managed to to beat them and pull out the win 1-0 one, one and suffered like an onslaught of, of shots and berated attacks and they, they kind of just, you know, they fought off the best team in the world and they, they won. Granted, they didn't advance through the tournament. However, they did get that one new win over the world champs at the time and they were just, it's, it's just a, it's a good, good feeling movie and it's, it's a good historical movie for the U.S. soccer um, uh, program. So, I mean, I, I highly recommend watching that film uh, if you can get past the, uh, the, the non-football acting footballers if you will um, but yeah those are my picks um, I think if all the listeners out there if you have some time check out all all nine of these movies that we, we've kind of thrown at you I think we overlapped with a couple of them but there's some good picks out there and I think uh, you would enjoy all of them so um, you know speaking of football factories if you go if YouTube has played as videos of Danny Dyer who's the actor the main actor in that who does he goes on tours of real football fact like real football derbies and uh as you know as the person he goes to he goes to like Fenerbahce Galatasaray and all these different you know to see real hooliganism and it, some of them are intense um and you know it's a it's a fun watch as someone who doesn't have to go experience that um but there are some really good ones 
on YouTube with full episodes of, you know, the real football factories, and, you know, they're good watches. So if you have spare 45 minutes or an hour or something, to go watch those, and he goes into matches, and, you know, he goes into their, like, you know, the bars they go to, and to their house parties that they have, and, you know, he, he gets real stories from real supporters, and, you know, some of them are really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it it it's a real thing out there, and it, it's it's definitely different in their in like the the European football culture as it is here with like our American sports, and it's like a whole other world. And I think they do a good job of portraying that in those movies. And um, little fun fact: the the lead in Football Factory is the same guy who plays the uh, the inmate who scores the winning goal in Mean Machine. So I mean, there's a little tie to both of those movies. That same actor's in both of them. So it's Again, highly recommend all these movies, and hopefully uh, you guys take the chance and get the opportunity to, to watch them. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a good spot to, to bring this thing to a close. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed the, uh, the content, whether it was the football or the football movies. Um, we are here for you, and we'll be uh, coming back again this week with a bonus podcast with a little bit of a crossover with uh, talking about an American movie classic starring the great Rodney Dangerfield. Um, again, if you guys have any questions or comments and want to get involved in the conversation, we urge you to reach out to us uh, at Beer Football Pod. Um, and we want to give a nice little shout out to Icon Oak Brewery for Mount Massive. And what was the, the beer you had this week, Jeff? Vernus Gruner. <laughs> was, it, was it better having the bottle in front of you to pronounce it? Slightly. <laughs> it's those two dots on top of the U that throw, throw me off. Always gets you. Always gets you. But, uh, no, so it's a good shout-out, good beers this week. Um, we are just glad that football is back on TV. Um, and like I said, we will be back um, in a couple of days with a, with a bonus podcast um, featuring JMC Movie Podcast. Um, we're going to be doing a little bit of a, a partner show with them, and it'll be pretty fun and entertaining. I hope you guys tune in for that one as well. Um, for the next Beer and Football podcast, we'll give you some solid updates on the Bundesliga, the return of that, and then some any updates with the Premier League, along with, of course, Taiwan and Belarus and how those teams are doing out there. Um, but for us, this is uh, the Thruple is going to call it a day on this one, but... Uh, we hope to see you guys on the next one, and uh, as always, next round's on us. Cheers. 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 <laughs>